AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So we're starting a new year in cybersecurity and some of the old threats we've been seeing for years are still there and still accelerating. Uh, but there's a couple of new ones too, especially in the IoT space that we hadn't expected before. John, you've got a story about some vulnerable speakers. Trend Micro actually put out a story uh, within the past week or so here about um, some vulnerabilities in uh, Sonos One and Bose SoundTouch. They're internet connected devices, much like a lot of these IoT devices we talk about all the time. They're are occasions where it appears that some people have them exposed to the internet. People, you know, without any kind of authentication can access your speaker. But there's a lot of other things that it exposes about what other devices it can see on the network, on your local network. One of the other interesting aspects is with the speaker systems, you can actually feed them instructions to say, play a wave file or an MP3 from a URL that you push to it. So they were playing with some experimentation of, you know, saying things like, Alexa, add this to my shopping list, or Alexa, turn the lights off, and things like that. And it would do it as long as there was an Alexa in the area of wherever the speaker system was. And I don't know if there's any stories yet about these things being used in a malicious way, but clearly some of the examples like, you know, Alexa, open up my front door. Right. You know, right. to, to rob a house would be one of those examples of a bad thing happening. Tell Alexa to, you know, order you 100,000 rolls of toilet paper or something. I mean, I can just see guys using this for annoyance purposes and for actually malicious purposes. It's got a lot of information leakage type things as well. So you can get like the Wi-Fi GPS coordinates or use the Wi-Fi to figure out where that might be relative to other Wi-Fi. You know, they use that uh, for yeah. GPS geolocation. Right. So they're able to identify like pretty precisely where vulnerable and exposed on the internet devices are actually geolocated. So it's kind of an interesting story, something that people should be aware of. But much like a lot of IoT devices, I think a lot of people get these things. They might not even be aware that they have some sort of web-enabled interface exposed on them. They just, you know, maybe pair it or do some Bluetooth pairing or whatever and don't really do much else with it or right. use some, some other interface that they supply to them, to a company like Bose or Sonos, not knowing that it's exposed to the Internet. So, um, you know, buyer beware, much like a lot of IoT devices, you should try to do some uh, evaluation of whether this is being exposed to more than just your local network. Right. And especially if it's a, you know exposed on the internet, that's, that could be a problem, allow somebody to hijack it and potentially use it to do some mischievous type things. Just another one of those stories of IoT devices, make sure that you understand what they're exposing beyond the basic functionality that they provide to you. Hey Jim, so it sounds like uh, you're looking into a story about some maybe advanced type actors that are targeting a few flavors of SQL database servers that are out there. Can you tell me more about it? Just before Christmas, the folks at Gardecore Labs uh, did a blog post uh, where they talked about the results of some of their investigations. And it looks like they've discovered a a group of Chinese actors that are behind at least three different campaigns 
that were targeting database servers that were on the internet. And it looks like it's a group of Chinese actors probably that are using uh, various techniques to brute force password guess their way into Microsoft SQL servers and a little bit of MySQL server as well. There were some key loggers in there, some DDoS stuff, and also some uh, cryptocurrency mining capabilities. This wasn't really particularly new techniques or anything, but once they get on to these systems, then they use a number of techniques that have been known for some time, but not necessarily all that well patched to get further into the system. They'll use things like XP CM shell to, to execute commands. They'll use stored procedures to dig their claws into these database servers. So they can maintain persistence on these devices once they've got on them via the brute force. They'll do some execution and maybe drop a rat or some type of backdoor that they can use to get in more easily later. They'll often introduce another account, a backdoor into the, the database server itself so that if the password that they brute forced does get changed, they've created another account that has the privileges they need. This group of Chinese actors does appear to be rather persistent uh, going after these database servers as stepping stones for whatever other nefarious activities they want to do. The top victims by IPs by country were China, then the US, then Thailand. The other thing I thought was interesting about this article, um, and it's a pretty good write-up, but they talk about how they segment the different activities. So they have a set of machines that just do the scanning to identify Microsoft SQL servers. And that provides a list of ones they found to a set of attack machines that try to brute force into them. Um, and then there's like another set of file servers that hold um, you know, payloads that they might deliver and whatnot. They're, they're organized, right? right? Okay. Whoever this is. Um, it also seems like they have really good operational security because they might use uh, they mentioned they use certain IPs to conduct some of these activities, um, but they only use them for a month at a time, and then they completely discard right. them. One of the other interesting things that I that they mentioned in the article was that the groups here have been doing frequent scanning of Azure and AWS public IP ranges, so they're looking to compromise, you know, cloud instances too, right. which I. I think we'll be seeing a lot of going forward. You should be looking out for this. You shouldn't use really easy to guess passwords. You should probably put some sort of firewall or access control list in front of your Microsoft SQL servers to only allow people that need to access it to be able to access it, not the entire world. This story talks about, unfortunately, a flaw that's been around for about 11 years now. The vulnerability allows a third party to actually either track a user or potentially steal IDs and passwords. Basically, a team of researchers from, the, from Princeton Center for Information Technology Policy, they did a bunch of research and they were looking at, um, you know, obviously the modern browsers today, so Firefox, Chrome, Opera, and Edge. Browsers all have these password, the built-in password managers. Right. Makes it really easy for the next time that you come to my site, I can fill in this information for you. But what they found was that you can have what's called a hidden form on a web page. 
when you go to that site, your browser, by design, wants to be helpful and fill in a form. Right, even though it's not visible. Even user. though it's not visible. The user itself won't know that it's actually been filled in. So you may not want it to be filled in, and most times you don't. It actually isn't a vulnerability so much as it's kind of a, maybe a weakness in how we do same origin policy in browsers. This only works on the site that you're visiting. It's not gonna go into your password manager and pull passwords and IDs for sites that you haven't right. visited. For like my bank account exactly. and stuff like that. Exactly. It's not gonna be able to get so that. It, your password manager tool running in your browser today is only gonna is gonna only gonna pull back the ID and password for the site that you're currently on. Right. A lot of the major sites today have these third parties that they have you know, deals with that they're providing these other scripts that they allow to run on their pages, which in, in essence allows them to pass that information back to them, and then they're able to use it like a Google would to track you. Right, right. Right. Yeah. It's these marketing companies or potentially I, I would imagine that, you know, even some malicious ads could do something like this. Now, the, the one thing that they did mention was that um, out of all of the browsers, Chrome is the only one that by default does not fill in the password field unless you actually click on the screen. They also provided a link to a, a demo or a test page where you could go to to test whether or not your browser was set up to do this. Personally, I, did, I never use that in browser. Right. It asks me frequently. I probably should just turn it off, right. but uh, I always say no. But is there, I, there is a way, right, to turn there, that off? There is. So it never prompts you to, to save passwords? Yeah, so I, I know. So would that be what you would recommend? I, I think that would be recommend? the recommendation here. I mean, you know, clearly there are a lot of people out there because it's the default, it's easy, and it asks you, right? Right. So you don't have to go off and install something like 1Password or LastPass, which is a little more complicated because it's a plugin. So it's a lot easier. So I think a lot of more people and tend to use the defaults which are in there. So yes, you're right. So in your settings for these browsers, you can go in and tell a Chrome or an Edge or whatever not to save passwords. And if you tell it to not save passwords, you won't get that pop-up box that says, hey, you just visited a site that I've ne you've never been to. Do you want me to save it? it? That won't come up. It's an interesting one, and it could be used for worse purposes. But right now, as far as we're able to see, it's mostly being used for advertising companies for tracking of users. So uh, welcome to 2018, and the weather story has not changed a whole lot. This is kind of interesting, in my opinion. So this is the Microsoft SQL Server one, and it's a three-year chart. So you can see, like, for the past two years, it's it's pretty you know, static, relatively speaking, in terms of the volume of scanning activity, but it stayed elevated right around the maybe late March, early April timeframe, which is right around when, uh, in the story that Jim brought us, is right around when they started to report that they started to see this Microsoft SQL Server brute force scanning. The lead story, in my opinion, of the internet weather was some of the discoveries we had about the Microsoft SQL Server scanning activity. I did do a six-week moving average on this. Basically takes the last six weeks, throw away the largest and smallest, take an average, see what you get. And it kind of shows this a lot more dramatically. So you can see that there really is a big change uh, around that time frame, which is a little bit harder to see in here. 
or it's not as obvious. Right. And we're still seeing, I mean, yeah, so this is elevated. today, right? Yeah. yeah, this is yeah. still elevated. There was a slight dip yeah. here, um, I'm going to say in the December, November time frame, but it looks like it's come way back up to where it has been all of last year. So this one's the 23 TCP, not anything really dramatic here. I just kind of want to take a, you know, start of the year, let's see how we're doing. And it's better than it was in uh, previous years, but it's still pretty elevated. So if you look back uh, f four or five years ago, it was really low. There's hardly any scanning activity. And this is in terms of number of scan sources also. It started to go up. This big chunk here uh, in the late 2016 timeframe is mostly attributed to Mirai activity. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Mirai kind of got, you know, weaned out, so to speak, or remediated on a lot of those devices, but it's still pretty elevated uh, relative to where uh, I would like it to be. And, you know, most of it, as far as we can tell, is related to a lot of these IoT de devices, yep. security camera DVR systems, network attached storage, 22 TCP. This is um, for SSH. And just wanted to take a quick look at this. Uh, I should mention when we go back and look, this these number of scan sources for Telnet are up in the 150,000, right around this mark here, yep. 150,000 scan sources per hour. Um, so you would think, oh, this looks really bad, but it's, it's only really around 14, 15,000 scan sources per hour, relatively yeah. speaking. It's bad. It's definitely not in a trend that we want to see here. It's a lot more volatility in SSH scanning than there had been in previous years. Last yeah. year, notably, uh, it seems like they're looking for a lot of SSH-enabled devices. And then the last one I had here is our scan sources on port 445 TCP, which is the Microsoft SMB file sharing yep. port. And back in the April, May timeframe, this is when WannaCry emerged, right? Where this little weird spike yep. uh, appears here. And since that time, we've seen, you know, this upward escalation in a number of scan sources scanning on this port, which is really indicative of not necessarily uh, entirely WannaCry scanning, but uh, there's probably a lot of that in there but there are other actors who are trying to use the same exploit technique. Yep. So it was going up, and I remember last year, I, was, I noticed it started to go down. Yeah. It was going in a downward direction. I was like, oh, that's great. I wonder if it'll stay like that. Well, as we can see, beginning of 2018 here, it did not stay like that. It's yeah. going back up again. Uh, so we'll have to keep an eye on that one as well and see how uh, things progress as time goes here. I was kind of hoping it might continue on that downward trend. We're seeing really bad attacks against people, you know, like the speaker system, interesting, but not necessarily we're seeing a lot of maliciousness. The password one, interesting, but not necessarily a lot of maliciousness. The Hexman one um, is directly malicious intent and organized attacker set. So I found that one more interesting. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.